So I'm going to read this morning from Mark chapter 8. Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist and others say Elijah and still others, one of the prophets. What about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Jesus predicts his death. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merrily human concerns. The way of the cross. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello, everybody. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, it's the first time ever for me to, to, this, to do this in front of people I don't really know, so if I'm getting a little bit nervous, forgive me. Uh, let me just introduce myself a little bit. Uh, so my name is Anya. Uh, I go to Wadsley. Uh, I live in Wadsley, and I go to Wadsley Parish Church. Uh, I'm married, I have two young daughters, and I'm a primary school teacher uh, most of the week. <laughs> um, and you can probably tell by now from my accent, I sound a little bit different, I'm not British, I uh, come from Poland, I've been here for nearly 20 years, uh, the accent stays. Uh, but for most part, I do feel British. It's been a long time, to be honest, I think I felt British before I even came, uh, and that's why I moved. Um, but I do still feel Polish on some occasions. The Olympics, a World Cup when they qualify, if they qualify, uh, Christmas uh, when I subject my very British husband and his very British family to some terrible, in 
some opinion, uh, some people's opinion, random, are definitely Polish traditions, Polish food, herring, for example, pickled, delicious. Uh, Remembrance Day is one of those occasions. I do feel Polish and I do feel patriotic on uh, Remembrance Day. It's actually Independence Day in Poland as well. So it's very special. Uh, if I ask my year six class uh, about the start and end dates of uh, World War I or World War II, only a handful will be able to tell me. In fact, those two conflicts are no longer compulsory in the national curriculum to be taught. And I think some of us will probably know a fair amount, older generations, but uh, it's certainly not something that is very prominent in people's minds anymore. But in Poland, it's a very different story. Polish children are taught about these events from a very young age. And for Polish people, particularly the World War II history, is still very fresh in our minds. So I hope you indulge me in a very short history lesson to those of us who might not know it from the Polish perspective. So for Poland, the, war, the Second World War started on the 1st of September 1939, when uh, the German army opened fire in Gdańsk, which is a city on the coast, the Baltic coast of Poland. And then, on the 17th of September, the USSR army uh, ad sort of started their advancement from the Eastern Front. Poland was attacked from both sides. It, Poland was invaded and then occupied for the entirety of the World War II. Five, almost six, very long and painful years. And looking at that historical context, uh, and the, the context of the passage that we were looking at today, uh, I can draw some similarities. We know that the passage, that this, this, the, 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 the story, uh, that event happens uh, in a, an area, geographically, of the world that is very tumultuous. We know that. We, don't, we just need to turn the news on, and we know that we are in a place that's been through a lot and is going through a lot. Um, so we're in Israel and Judea, where those two places were occupied during that time by the Romans. But this occupation, unlike the Polish occupation, lasted for over 90 years, by the time Jesus calls his disciples. So when we hear that story, they've been in occupation by the Romans for 90 years. The Jews lived alongside the Roman troops for that time, who took over the towns and cities uh, that were governed by the Roman rulers, and they had to live alongside them for several generations. So young people of that time didn't know freedom, didn't know what it meant. They didn't know uh, the world where they could be free. And they couldn't even hear it from the previous generations. They couldn't even hear it from their fathers and mothers or even grandparents. 
Freedom and independence were truly stuff of legends for them. But there was also a promise. God was going to send a savior who would set them free. So hope was still alive. And people were looking for signs, searching the horizon for their savior to come, for the fulfillment of that Old Testament prophecy. And here he comes, Jesus. But he's a very unlikely hero. He's young, he's poor, he's a carpenter of all things, uh, really not someone they would expect. Yet Peter says in that passage, you are the Messiah. Now it was actually a Greek word, word the Christ. You are the Christ. And in Hebrew, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior. Now, disciples up to this point have seen Jesus perform loads of miracles by now. Healing, casting of demons, feeding the 5,000, calming of the storm, walking on water, even bringing a man from the dead. So the expectations are high. You are our Christ. You are our Messiah, our Savior. So now you will lead the revolt. You will, we will fight together against oppression. We will end the occupation and we will emerge victorious. And you will be our leader in that. So Peter gets the title right but the meaning completely wrong because Jesus paints a very different vision, a very different picture of a savior. A path of suffering, a path of rejection, and finally, death. He is going to be that lamb that uh, Brian mentioned earlier. And it's going to be a path not just for the anointed one, not just for Jesus, but also for his followers. Jesus' message is, take up your cross. Take up your cross, not your weapons. And that image, we do have that in our language, uh, the saying, something is a cross I have to bear. But what Jesus means is not just a burden of life that we might be referring to, but an instrument of execution, a symbol of giving up one's life. So for those first disciples, it actually was really, it wasn't really far from the literal meaning. Many of them suffered, suffered persecution and death because they decided to follow Jesus. But what does it mean for us? Well, to lose our lives for Jesus' sake, what does that mean for us? We live in a country where we don't have a lot of persecution for choosing to be Christians. We're not really risking our lives, but we are still called to give up our lives and take our crosses. What does that mean? So it means 
to ask where God is leading me instead of where do I want to go. It means to hold my wishes and my desires and my dreams in one hand and God's will in the other and choose the latter. If I clutch my life wholly to myself, I will ultimately lose it. Complete freedom comes with complete surrender to God. Complete freedom comes with complete surrender to God. In the summer of 1944, Poland decided to fight against the occupants. The uprising took place in the city I come from, in Warsaw. And the Warsaw Uprising was the single largest military effort undertaken by resistance uh, to oppose German occupation during World War II. It was a fight against the enemy fought by the home army, by the civilians, and by scouts, often as young as 12. And those who fought in the Warsaw Uprising knew they were most likely going to die. But they knew it was a sacrifice worth making for the nation's freedom and for the ultimate victory. Victory that they would never live to see. And all of those who actively fought in World War II or any other war conflict in, in history or in existence now, count that cost. And many sacrificed their futures in order for us to live in a better world, to enjoy our freedom. And we remember them all today. But unlike those who had to lose their lives to win freedom for us, we can all experience the ultimate freedom and victory for our faith in Jesus Christ, in our Messiah. This is his message. For what good it is, is it to, for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? If you keep your life, you will lose it. You will waste it. But if you give your life, your time, your energy, generously to God and to other people, you will save it. You will add immeasurable value to it. This is our freedom. And this is our victory. In Jesus' name, amen.